This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Yes, here we are. Welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm going to share with you some thoughts I have on the importance of finding meaning in life. Now, when I was an undergraduate studying psychology at the University of Connecticut, I had planned to make a career in that field, and my fascination with the subject was ignited by a teacher I had at Stanford slash Trinity Catholic High School. His name was Mike Roper, and he was a guidance counselor. Wasn't my guidance counselor, but he was one of our guidance counselors, and he taught psychology to upperclassmen as an elective. And you know, I, I was fascinated by his course. First of all, the guy was off his rocker. I, I love the man to death, but he was he was. Um, you could see where he could need a psychologist, I guess. <laughs> anyway, I loved his course. And I was really fascinated by the prospect of pursuing, you know, an understanding of what makes people tick, you know, what makes them do what they do. And I came to understand, you know, that's kind of a narrow definition of the field. It is much broader than that. But but I did wind up declaring it as a major during my freshman year of college. And, and really, I, I wouldn't have done anything differently. Now, you know, studying the field at the undergraduate level, you know, you learn about a lot of famous psychologists, you know, there, there's the big ones, right? There's Freud, uh, probably the, the first one anyone's heard about. But but um, yeah, there's a bunch of big guys, Freud, Skinner, John Brodus Watson, uh, father of behaviorism. But one of the ones that I was really fascinated by was a guy named uh, Victor Frankl. Uh, he wasn't a psychologist. He was a neurologist and a psychiatrist. But what was really interesting about him, among other things, was he, he was a Holocaust survivor. Um, and uh, he wrote a book uh, called Man's Search for Meaning. He wrote many books, but, but Man's Search for Meaning, I, I could argue, is probably his most famous. Um, and I do think it should be considered required reading, not just for psych students, but, but literally any human being. Like, everyone should read this book. And it's divided into two parts. And the first part recounts his time in a concentration camp. And the second part is devoted to his, you know, theory of therapy called logotherapy, which involves identifying a purpose in life to feel positive about, and then, you know, immersively imagining that outcome. And that, that this, this kind of thing has, has been popularized by motivational speakers, you know, Tony Robbins, I, I think would be one of them. But, but Viktor Frankl believed that, you know, people who survived the atrocities of living in a concentration camp like, like he did, did so because they somehow found meaning in what they were going through. 
And he would go on to, to state and postulate that it's important to find meaning in three areas in one's life, through work, through love, and through finding courage in the face of danger. And this has been on my mind recently because I'm writing a book in which Frankel's Man's Search for Meaning plays an important role. You know, a character actually receives this book as a gift and he finds a coded message inside it. But, but you know, while, while researching, you know, and reintroducing myself to, to Frankel's work, um, I couldn't help but reflect on people I've interviewed over the years who have found meaning in these three areas, you know. In, in work, in love, and in finding courage in the face of danger. Now, the very first episode of this show featured an interview I did uh, with, with my first co-host at the time, uh, Wendy. Love you, Wendy. Uh, the uh, uh, interviewee uh, was, the guest, I should say, was Father Dave Dwyer, who I met many, many years ago. He actually hosts a radio program called The Busted Halo Show on Sirius XM's The Catholic Channel. And I found myself becoming a nightly listener of that show because, you know, he brought a very humorous and modern approach to Catholicism. And um, I, I really felt moved by, by you know, his organization, Busted Halos, their, their mission. And I offered to do some pro bono work for them. And uh, it actually developed into a nice friendship I have with, with Father Dave Dwyer. Anyway, he has, he's got a story about finding meaning in work. And just have a listen to uh, this clip way back from 2012. So I went back uh, to MTV. They said, you know, they say you can never go home again, but I did. Uh, particularly since my departure for HBO, a lot of people had left um, in 1989 when I left to go work for a comedy channel at the time. Um, were leaving MTV to go to this startup, and there was a little kind of bad blood between the two companies, and I was, I think, the 11th or 12th person to kind of defect, and by that time, they were not so happy with that. And, uh, and so I didn't know if I could go home again, but the same guy that was there <laughs> the same senior vice president said oh yeah come on back oh or hard feelings and whatnot so worked at uh, mtv for a little while but at that point i would say career satisfaction was okay but i think i thought that maybe there's something more is this really i wasn't saying is this all there is but the kind of stuff that i was really enjoying in in my my time away from work started to make me think you know is this what i want to do with the rest of my life stars of the 80s the comedians and you're going home night after night and doing what <laughs> uh praying in church praying in church yeah. that does that wendy does that seem like that does something not seem like a match <laughs> does all. not seem like a match no. and and here you are in denver colorado world youth day right and you decide what i decide that i hear a calling from god and that i should um continue with what i've been doing in my off hours maybe with my entire life so i begin at that point pursuing discerning what it might be like to follow a call to the priesthood with my life i mean i didn't come home right then and instantly get ordained it takes longer than that but i did start a process of really praying about and asking friends and other people that had made similar decisions about you know is this what i should do with my life and in less than a year i entered into a novitiate which is the first year of uh, or, um, you know sort of the seminary track for ordination to catholic priesthood so just to connect the dots there a little bit if you if you hadn't been able to figure it out you know he worked in the entertainment industry at mtv worked at hbo comedy central and he he kind of had my dream job you know scouting out comedic talent um for late night programming and uh, he left it all behind because he found a greater meaning in something else. And that, of course, was becoming a Catholic priest. And I really love that story. But, 
you know, I, I, I think about it and I think about my early career. And I'll be honest, I struggled finding meaning in my work for a very long time. Now, if you remember from the early part of this interview, I originally planned on making a living in the field of psychology. And I had dreams of, of getting my PhD and working as a professor and, and becoming a therapist. And obviously, you know, that just didn't happen. And there's a number of reasons for that. I won't go into them now. But, but you know, all, all it is to say is that in the early part of my career, I, I had a hard time finding something that I was passionate about in the corporate world. You know, I never imagined myself there. I was bored by anything that had to do with numbers, <laughs> accounting and finance. They were out. You know, sales would have been a good choice. But, you know, the only sales opportunities I could find at the time were insurance related. And, and don't get me started on what I think about insurance salesmen. It was it was only after slogging in a job as a research manager that I that I came, you know, across what focus groups were. And then my eyes were kind of open. You know, I had no idea that a person could walk into a room full of strangers and then lead a discussion around a product and and then write a report about it, you know, and, and get paid to do it. It was I made it my mission, you know, to, to get trained in, in that area. And, and I eventually made a good living by doing it. And, you know, but but more important than, than the money I was earning at the time. It was the fact that I found meaning in the work. You know, it just for me, it just wasn't about running a research project or focus groups, you know, to test out some new idea or ad. It was about making connections with people and then turning their feedback into some kind of human-centered insight that my clients could use to make decisions. So um I was very happy that I could find meaning in in work at some point in time in my career. Now, beyond work, you know, Frankel says that um, we have to find meaning in love or we can find meaning in love. I don't think he's commanding us. He's, he's kind of directing us. Right. And a couple of years ago, I was uh, actually honored to interview um, a psychologist and author and uh, as well as sort of, you know, trainer, Gay Hendricks, who, who had you know written a book he was promoting at the time. And, and we actually got into the topic of, of love because it is something that he knows something about. And and I think you should pay close attention to him because, you know, he, he's been on Oprah. But <laughs> listen to what he, he has to say. He's got a story about finding his wife. Well, I think it's because I'm a classic example of a wounded healer in the sense that I took a lot of things. I never saw any healthy relationships when I was growing up. So I put a priority on creating one once I kind of began to awaken uh, in my early 30s. And like I said, I spent a lot of my 20s just blindly going about unconsciously repeating patterns. And so um, fortunately, I had a wake up moment in uh, when I was, well, it was December 1979, where I had this vision of what I really wanted in a close relationship. And it was three things. I wanted to be with a woman who was absolutely honest so that we could be absolutely honest with each other, never any artifice. Number two, I wanted to be with a woman who was willing to take responsibility for things that came up rather than going for the victim position because I just started doing that myself. I quit being the victim and started taking responsibility and claiming, hmm, here's why I created that in my life. And so I wanted somebody who was getting good at doing that too. And the third thing is I wanted somebody that was really committed to their creative process. Um, and uh, the reason is because I go in a room for a couple hours a day by myself and write. And I want to be with somebody who really respects and honors and has that kind of thing going, whether it's writing a symphony or making a soup or whatever it is, that they've got something they're passionately engaged with. So those are my three big requirements. And so I kind of made this prayer to the universe where I said, 
what I wanted, and then I put a clincher on it. And I said, if it's not in the cards for me to have something like that, I'm willing to be alone, but I promise you I'll never settle for less. I kind of cracked a whip on the universe and said, this is what I want, and I'll never settle for less. So a month later, I walk into a room, and there's this amazing-looking human being, and I find out her name is Kathleen. Now we call her Katie. But uh, I persuaded her to move to Colorado with me, and uh, the rest is three or four books about it and uh, lots of trips around the world. As a matter of fact, right now, she's just beginning a relationship seminar that she's teaching over in uh, near Munich, Germany. Yeah, I think that uh, he, he had a very clear picture of, of what he was looking for in a partner. And of course, he was he was, you know, in his 30s and had a lot of life experience behind him at the time. And and, you know, I certainly didn't have that. I mean, I, I met the woman who would become my wife when, when I was 18 years old. And, you know, we, we've been together, you know, if you do the math, 30, 31 years or close to 30 years. I, I told you before, I'm bad at math. So it's almost 30 years, almost three decades. You know, we haven't been married that entire time, but but nevertheless, it's a long time. And, you know, you know, Frankel was right. You know, I, I found meaning in love and, and it's the love between me and my wife, you know, that led to our three children. And I found a tremendous amount of meaning in in being their father and playing that role. It's really one of the greatest joys of my life. And you know, now that they're adults, you know, I, I kind of miss, you know, that kind of playing a different role for them. You know, when they were younger, I played a, a different role for them, and now I'm I'm kind of an ATM machine. But um, so it, all this is to say that you know, love my love with my wife brought me meaning in that way, you know, it brought me to, to becoming a father, but th there were other ways, you know, that, that the love my wife and I have together, you know, brought meaning to my life. And, and I think anyone who's been in a relationship with somebody for, for close to three decades will know that it's not always roses. You know, you, you are going to hurt each other somehow, you know, sometimes it's going to be in small ways and sometimes it's going to be in big ways. But what really matters isn't that you hurt somebody or that somebody hurt you. What I think matters is what you do about it. You know, do you fight for each other or do you throw in the towel? Now, do you address the issues in your relationship dynamic or do you ignore them and just hope that things change? And, and I'll tell you right now, they won't change unless unless you force, you know, some some I don't want to say conflict, but unless you you know challenge the dynamic, you know, what's been leading you into into conflict and um so finding meaning in the in the in, in the emotion of love, you know, is of course important, but but also challenging yourself and your partner to continue to grow um, is also important. And and I think that that kind of you know ties back to finding finding meaning in love. You know, and I I think also there's a humility that comes with it. You know, you literally have to bear yourself naked to your partner. And and I don't just mean physically, although that can be fun. Um, what I mean is like this emotional nakedness that you have to have. And, and that's something I'll, I'll be honest. It's something I've struggled with over the years. You know, I have a very hard time voicing what I want and what I need in my wife as a partner. And, and many times for years I would sweep things under the rug and, and I've learned that that doesn't work long-term, you know, master of the obvious comment there. But I have to say that I, that I have found meaning in love through being able to speak up for myself and finding my voice in the relationship. So, yeah, there you have it. Enough about love. Um, <laughs> lastly, right? Last thing Frankel talks about is that we can find meaning 
by finding courage in the face of danger. And late last year, I had the pleasure of speaking with Emmy award-winning filmmaker and executive director of the Invisible Disabilities Association, Jess Stainbrook, who shared with me a story that I'll never forget. I don't think you will either. Have a listen. My company was invited to shoot the first ever inside communist Russia international athletic event. Um, Besides the Olympics, which we didn't go to in 1980, and a lot of of my soccer buddies were let down for that. Um, Yeah, we're still angry. (laughs) Um, But so this was an ultra marathon. And so athlete teams from all over the world were going to come in and run a thousand miles across Siberia in 15 days. And the long story is actually pretty hilarious, but the short story is that in the midst of that, um, my company was chosen to cover this for the world, if you will. And they only let two of us come with cameras into communist Russia. Uh, they gave us a big list of things of what we weren't allowed to do, which was pretty much everything. I don't, and as a documentary filmmaker, I mean, I have eight Emmys in documentary work. This is what I do. And I don't, not shoot things you know what i mean i shoot everything and i interview everybody well it was very difficult but what we found is that there were four members of the russian team that just didn't seem like athletes or at least that type of athletes ultra marathoners usually have a very specific thin look and and it's the way they are um well it turns out these guys were kgb assigned to the race uh to watch us because they thought we were cia and uh about halfway in the race, uh, we were taken, I was taken by them to visit for a while because they needed to see whether I was a spy or not. And in in the midst of those kinds of, uh, traumatic incidences, if you will, uh, I think sometimes you make decisions of what do I do, you know? And, and it's, 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 it's that foxhole moment of if there's a God and, and he actually exists, and, and you reach out, might he choose to save you? You know what I mean? And uh, I actually did, and he did. And it so hugely impacted my life that it changed everything. Now, for context, the story he just told happened in the early 1980s. And, you know, he was going into a country that was technically at war, albeit it was a Cold War, but at war with the United States. And, of course, you know, if, if you watched any movies, <laughs> any action movies at the time, you know, the Russians were our enemies and you know, he, he had to have courage just to get on that plane. But but my God, when he was questioned by you know, the KGB, you know, their secret intelligence service, you know, th- these were not known as nice gentlemen. Um, <laughs> these were not gentlemen of leisure. You know, I can't imagine the fear that was kind of running through his veins, you know, so much so that in, in a moment of desperation, he actually said a prayer and that prayer wound up changing his life. Now, the most courageous thing I had done up until my 20s was, was maybe drive from Connecticut to the Redneck Riviera of Panama City, Florida, with five other guys in a 1994 Cadillac Fleetwood. And if you don't think that took courage, well, you, you never met the guys that I went with. <laughs> Animals. But kidding aside, you know, I think we, we, we all exhibit courage in different ways. And one of the ways that I've done this, um, that I think I do this, is, is by staying calm under pressure. So back in 2016, in December of 2016, I was told over the telephone uh, by my boss um, that my employment status was a lever he had to pull. And that's just a nice way of saying that he was letting me go. It was three weeks before Christmas and and I was kind of, you know, I was kind of blindsided by it. But but talk about a dehumanizing experience. You're just a lever I have to pull. I mean, I still get angry about it to this day. 
But, um, you know, ever since I was married, I, I've been the sole breadwinner of the family and I had three kids at the time. And this was going back, what, four, a little over four years ago. And, and they were freshmen in high school. And, and I got to tell you, there's not a lot of jobs out there for 40 plus year old men in the qualitative research field. You really have to, to blaze your own path. And I'll tell you, I'll, I'll be honest, I was scared. But deep down inside, I knew that I had to appear you know, strong and confident to my wife, to my family. So, you know, I, I hit the pavement. I reached out to some old clients. I secured some freelance work. And, you know, I think it for me, I think it took some courage to do that. You know, I was kind of kind of it was Van Halen would say playing alive without a net. That's a you know callback to the old 5150 days. But, um, yeah, another way that I think that I've exhibited courage is, you know, when my triplets were born, you know, they were born nine weeks premature. My son was two pounds, nine ounces when he was born. That's like lighter than a, a two liter bottle of Mountain Dew. Um, I was to say I was scared shitless was an understatement. You know, I was scared because I was a father for the first time, a father of, you know, I went from zero to three kids in, in three minutes. You know, I was only 27 years old and, and. You know, these kids, they, they weren't healthy. You know, they, they spent the first month of their life in uh, the neonatal intensive care unit. And, and I went to work you know, every day, you know, try, trying to, to have a, 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 you know, a smiling face. And, and at the time, I worked for a company called MasterCard, and they did not have paid leave for fathers at the time. I, I, and I was so junior, I only had two weeks of vacation. And uh, I had to use one of those weeks after the kids were born. And because my wife had a, a C-section, emergency C-section, and I had to help her. And then I took a week of vacation after they came home. And, um, you know, I, I remember that period of time. And I think Frankel was wrong. I think he missed an opportunity for meaning. <laughs> Maybe there's an opportunity to find meaning in the face of assholery. Because I, I remember at the time my boss called me in her cubicle. And yes, I was that junior that even my boss had a cubicle. Um, and she, she came to talk to me because she was worried about my performance. And I'm like, you know, lady, I've got three kids. They're clinging to life on ventilators. I'm not sleeping at all. And, and you can't, you know, you can't show me why you can't show me any empathy. You know, if you need to understand why, you know, but she wasn't a mother at the time. And I did hear after she actually had her first kid, um, she uh, regretted how, how she treated me. But anyway, I digress. Um, I digress. So here I am, right? I'm 46 years old now, and I'm looking back on the first half of my life, and I realize that up until this point, my life has actually had a tremendous amount of meaning. And my question for you is, what about yours? You know, do you find meaning in life? You know, do you find meaning in your work? And if you have a hard time finding something, you know, meaningful about what you do for a living, I'm not suggesting that you quit your job and follow a passion because that would be irresponsible. But maybe take some time to reflect on what you would find meaning doing and maybe search for a way to, to build that into your job description. Or, you know, maybe it's time to invest some some time in training for for a career change. You know, one day if it's if it's, you know, feasible for me, I, I definitely want to go back and pursue that Ph.D. that I put on uh, put on hold, you know, over 20 years ago. So secondly, have you found the love of your life? You know, are, and if you have, are you still getting along? You know, has it been too close for comfort for you during this pandemic? You know, I, I, loving like pimping ain't easy. But uh, remember, nothing worthwhile is ever easy. So if you're constantly at odds, odds with your partner, you know, or if there's something in your dynamic that needs work, you know, address it. It's going to be uncomfortable, but it has to be done. 
And, and if you haven't found that person yet, you know, don't lose hope. I, I do believe that there's someone out there for everyone. Well, I'm no love guru like Mike Myers, but Madishka uh, Hagate, uh, as they say. Uh, now, lastly, <laughs> most of us are probably not in very dangerous situations all that often, but but if we define danger more broadly as a condition that can impact us negatively, you know, we might be able to relate to it a little bit better. So when I was scared and I lost my job and after my kids were born, you know, I found the courage to keep on going and and to have some kind of, um, yeah, I don't want to call it a happy face, but, but you know, calmness under pressure perhaps. And, and I think I can chalk a lot of that up to, you know, my own faith, which is something I know I don't talk about that often, but it's there but also having a good support network, you know? And I think that's that's critical. So I'll ask you a question that I asked a few episodes ago, which was, you know, when you face danger, when you face challenges, who's in your corner? You know, who, who can you lean on for help? You know, Frankel never said that you had to go through, you know, danger alone. So as always, thanks for listening to this episode of Uncorking a Story. And if you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And, and if you can, if you have a moment, you know, give us a rating and a review. We'd, we'd really appreciate that. And of course, if you liked what you heard, please consider sharing Uncorking a Story with a friend because that's a great way that we can uh, spread the Uncorking a Story message to more people. So uh, uh, for all the hardworking folk here on Corking a Story, this is Mike Carlin saying thank you for listening. And we'll be back on Monday with another episode.